and she just stands there like with a tripod holding her purple sock up two poles and her her one booted foot and she's just like crying and i'm just laughing and she's just looking at me like you son of a bitch i hate you so much and i'm like it's fine it's fine it's okay it's i'm sorry and i just couldn't help but laughing through my teeth and we're just and i'm just thinking am i gonna find this boot (laughs) because it was just completely consumed that was the I know, Mom was doing very well at keeping her rage in check. Welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm Erin Egan, and this is the podcast where I talk to experienced through hikers about their adventures on the trail and strategies for successfully completing a thru-hike. Today's guests are Mr. Shoes and Canal Canette, known off-trail as Scott and Aiden Durkin. They did some intense father-son bonding during their thru-hike of the AT in 2017, the perfect culmination of a multi-subject homeschooling project. Their logistical support was provided by Moneypenny, a.k.a. Mom, back at home in England. During this episode, everyone gets a chance to chime in with their perspective on the adventure. And there's definitely some he said, he said, she said going on. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-through.com. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcast and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with Mr. Shoes, Canal Canet, and Moneypenny. You. I'm good. Um, my wife is just running um, my daughter down from a tutoring, so she, she's going to be joining in a little bit if you have any questions. Perfect. Yeah, it would be really interesting to kind of get her perspective on it, you know, sending both of you kind of off to the Americas, so to speak, and and into the wilds. Yeah, we called her a trail widow. <laughs> I'm sure she's not the only one. No, <laughs> no. It's it's not, hopefully hopefully trail widows don't turn into trail exes. So we uh, we, we managed to we managed to stay together. But I think a lot of people go away, and you know the one who goes away, there's a they always they never really come back in a in a way. But we're uh, we were always grounded, so it was good to come back. Yeah. No, and that's important. I think everybody that I've talked to has had some very profound changes, realizations, thought processes when they're on the trail. And I have to expect that that changes how you reintegrate. Yeah. I think, uh, well, it's funny. We've, we talked a lot about this going into it because Aiden was, Aiden had just turned 14 when we started. And so he was, he was a new teen <laughs> and he was at it's 14 is that kind of like cusp year where you're becoming your body's growing exponentially. You're becoming a young adult and you're kind of experiencing things that you hadn't experienced even as a 13 year old or a, a preteen. Mm-hmm. And I was, I'm in my middle age. I was, I just turned, I, I was 42 when I hiked it. And so I thought, and I'd been wanting to hike it for 
20 years. I was supposed to hike it when I graduated college, like everyone usually does. Right. And, and so I thought for, so for 20 years, I'm like, I'm going to go out into the woods <laughs> and I'm going to find myself and I'm going to change all of the things I hate about myself. <laughs> I'm going to be more patient. <laughs> I'm going to be more patient. I'm going to be, no. I'm going to, I'm going to lose, lose that weight that I've wanted to lose. I'm going to be more um, insightful. I'm going to come back and see the world through a new lens. And, and I was waiting and expecting for that change and actually seeking that change out. Mm-hmm. And I think from like the first or second week, I was like, he's like, no, I'm just <laughs> me. It's helped me realize that it's, it just, entre- I was entrenched. Mm-hmm. I was like, I have a short temper. Yeah, you just got to deal with it. This is who I am. It was almost like I dug my heels in and became a petulant child and was like, nope, I'm going to hold my breath. I'm going to turn blue. This is who I am. There's no change in it. And the only and the further we go, the more we're just going to see how I don't change, how I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to shed off all those things that I wanted to change mm-hmm. and just abandon any hope at change. And embrace. I, yeah, so it, it's funny – because there's, you know, it, there, a lot of people do go looking for change, and and I was one of them, and and no, it did, it, nothing happened. It was just like, I, but maybe that was the change. The change was me accepting who I was, right? Before and 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 saying that's that's fine because that if I can be that person through this in, endurance event, then I guess it's okay to be that person in the comforts of town, right? Yeah. You you embraced your yeah. your inner being, so to speak. Boss, yeah. Though so the way that you you talk about your uh, your anger management, it sounds like Aiden was the adult on the trail. <laughs> in more ways, in more ways than one. I think, especially when we got to camp, I feel like I pulled my fair share. I'll put it that way, because um, a lot of the time. Dad would be leading the way while we were hiking. So he was sort of what was keeping us on track. So that's a lot to do in a day, especially, you know, when you're climbing mountains. So when he got to camp, he sort of crashed hard. So I I had to uh, do the tent, make sure everything was comfortable for him, <laughs> make sure we had a warm dinner. And uh, what the day, the you night mean, of the half gallon oh, challenge. Oh yeah, we got to camp. At, he had completed the challenge. He ate all the ice cream, and we got to camp. And he was so frustrated. He's like, "I'm so tired. I just want to lay down." And I'm like, "Dad, please just eat a spoonful of hummus because that's all he ate on the trail, just tubs of hummus." And as soon as he did, he was back to normal. So yeah. <laughs> He for he's he force fed me a spoonful of hummus, and I turned from this kind of sugar coma, just lump into this. I'm alive, <laughs> and I started running around the camp like doing chores and treating water and hanging the bear bag, and it was just that little bit of protein to fight off all the sugar and preservatives. That, but he yeah he was he definitely was the adult where it was. It's time to go to bed now. It's time to turn out your light and go to bed now. It's time. It's we need to take a break. I think you need to have something to drink. You're cranky. Eat something. Yeah, it was definitely 
Yeah, he 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 made he made it sound like he was the concierge, but he wasn't. It we it, we, it was a yeah, balance. Yeah, there was. <laughs> but yeah, he he definitely had his share of chores to do when we got to camp. Aiden, did you end up? carrying all of your stuff or, or was some of that stuff also on you, Scott? Aiden actually ended up carrying my stuff. In the in the beginning, I carried next to nothing. I think I carried the tent pole. I, th- I carried the tent when we started at Springer. And then Dad carried all of the food, the spare clothes and everything. But as we went, because I, I definitely wasn't, you know, the strongest person alive when we started. So um, he sort of eased me into it, but yeah, by the end, oh, it's we, not not by the end. I think about a week into it, he got. I kept trickling things into his pack. Yeah, because I realized mm-hmm. I couldn't carry everything, but there was very much an expectation that he would carry his own gear, and okay. we divided up since we were sharing a first aid kit, and we were sharing like foot repair supplies and you know, medica- medication if we needed anything. So we had a bag. So we had a food bag, but we also had a bag that was pretty formidable of emergency supplies. So he would carry, and we call mm-hmm. it the keystone because it was pretty yeah. heavy. And so <laughs> he would carry the keystone and I would carry the food bag. And what was great about that arrangement was that my got mine got lighter <laughs> But his stayed the same. It was always funny, though, because although it got lighter after every resupply, his face would just drop again. He'd be like, this is so heavy. Yeah, so he he definitely, I mean, early on I, I carried, I think, um, I definitely I carried the stove and most of the tent. And I, I think that was it. But it, about a weekend, we split the tent down the middle, so... We both carried kind of half of the way to the tent. And then, um, yeah, he carried a lot of stuff. And there were times where I was really struggling. And I just said, can you carry something for me? And he he just did without without a – and I, mm-hmm. I was struggling with asking him because I didn't want to burden him more. And finally, I was just like, I can't carry this. And he said, give it to me. And I said, are you sure? He said, just give it to me. And, and I gave it to him thinking, now we're both going to be struggling. And he just – Danced up the trail, and I'm thinking, one, why did I wait so long? And you son of a bitch! <laughs> like, like I was like really young yeah, legs, young legs, and you know, just not um, unburdened by any of the <laughs> worry of the baggage of carrying this extra baggage. <laughs> yeah. Now, was that you say you were struggling? Was that the struggle of just like the weight of the pack, or were, was it? the weight of trying to make sure that you both got through this whole thing safely and, and whatever, or like, what was the struggles that you were? Yeah, it's, oh, it's a good question. The, we spent, I guess about six months doing some training hikes and, and getting ourselves physically ready for as much as you can, not hiking in a city. Like we did lots of walks. <laughs> so, I mean, London is below sea level and it's completely flat. So we, we would hike 20 miles in about four to uh, yeah, four and a half yeah, yeah, yeah. hours. I mean, it was like we were booking mm-hmm. and we're thinking, oh, this is going to be easy. <laughs> uh, and then you go and you start, you know, climbing up and down the pointless hills in Georgia and you're like, this is not easy. And But I, I don't think, I think the struggling was, was definitely the weight. But um, Helen, my wife, 
she made sure that we were overly prepared and overly supported so that there was no, there was very little, unless there was a catastrophic injury, which we, mm-hmm. <laughs> which we actually yeah. had a couple of, but in our heads, unless there was a catastrophic injury, we were going to do that. We were going to do this. And, okay. and so there really wasn't a struggle of if it was, it was more when I was saying I was struggling, it was, I was, I over, I overpack. I always overpack. I, I, I think if we don't have two days of food in our pack going into town, we're running out of food. Mm. So, and it was, and, and I think if I hiked solo, because when I, when I went on solo trips myself, I didn't have that mentality, but with him in tow, it was very much care for him, make sure he has what he needs. And if he has what he needs, then there's no reason why he should fail. And so I'm giving right. him every every opportunity to succeed so that he wouldn't find reason. You know, there would be no reason. And he was, but the thing is, he was more reasonable about it with me because he'd be like, why are we carrying so much Sometimes food? Sometimes it was just ridiculous. Like one time, I think we were a day out of town and we were coming up to a road crossing and dad was panicking. He was like, we don't have enough food. We're not going to make it. We had two days of food in our we, pack. Actually, we didn't have two days. We had two days of food in our pack. <laughs> I disagree with that. And so. he's like, all right, we got a road crossing coming up. And he was using the GPS thing to text my mom. And he got her to have a hostile woman come up and resupply us on the trail with a week's worth of food for a day's walk Less to town. Weeks worth it of- was a week's worth of food. <laughs> it wasn't. Anyway, yeah, that was actually that was actually quite cool because we were in Virginia. Virginia. We were in Virginia yeah. and we and there was a we I had looked at this hostel that was in the guidebook as a a resupply just to kind of get us mm-hmm. into town to a proper resupply, but kind of top some top us out, off. And it turned out the hostel was closed for renovations and they weren't accepting anyone coming up to the hostel and and my wife, who is kind of our eye in the sky, we call her Money Penny. Like she was like our, mm-hmm. you know, we I'd send a little text to say we're coming into town because you know there's that big race into town, so everyone will get that hostel bed or that hotel room. Yeah, and everyone's kind of standing on a mountaintop with their cell phone, going, "I'll be there! I'll be there! <laughs> if you just hold the room, I'll be. I don't know when I'll be there, but I will be there. Just hold the room." And we would just stride into town with these big like grins on our face going, Oh, it's all taken care of because we sent a satellite message to my wife and she made a phone call and she would text us back where we would have to go for our, our accommodation. And so we we were really spoiled in that respect. (laughs) And so she, she went, did her magic and we came to this road crossing and this woman was there with her Land Rover and the back door was open and she had all of her, leftover resupply items from the hostel and she's like oh choose what you like and you know we have some of this we have some of that and other hikers are coming up and she was doing a cracking trade because like she (laughs) she was thinking i'm off this season because no one can stay at the hostel and there were like at least six other hikers coming up and going oh what do you got there and so i you could see her her wheels spinning like oh this might be something i could do and then she ended up making some money riding people into town and so it was really quite 
beneficial to everyone around us. But it was, I was nervous. And then we went, when we finally got to camp that night, I opened up the food bag and Aiden's like, why did we resupply in the middle of the trail? We have plenty of food and we're in town tomorrow. And I, it was just, but you know, in my head is, you know, Papa Bear. I was like, I got to make Mm -hmm. sure he has what he needs. So. Yeah. Oh, I, I get it. I mean, there's that constant worry behind, but Aiden, what were you struggling with out on the trail? Trying to keep your father in line? <laughs> um, he was pretty good at doing that himself. Uh, sometimes he'd get a bit, you know, he likes throwing himself into adventures, so he doesn't really pay too much attention to self-preservation in those moments. Uh, like when it got really cold, I'd have to be like, Dad, put on a jacket. But other than that, um, the things I struggled with was mostly just the culture shock, I guess I could say, because, you know, I live in a city, I have a very pampered life, so then getting thrown into the wilderness and climbing up mountains for four months straight, uh, it it was a very different experience. So just sort of coming to terms with that, uh, acclimating to that new environment, uh, but after a while, it just it just became a rhythm. You felt like you'd wake up, you'd have your routine, you get your pack set up, and then you just go and have a good day. So after first two or three weeks, I sort of I was just happy with where I was. You were you were into the routine. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny how he mentions culture shock because the first night we were at Hawk Mountain Shelter, <laughs> we had only gone about fourteen miles, and. Okay, well, before that, we came off we came off Springer really optimistic. Oh yeah. And we were about 3 miles from Springer Mountain when he turned his ankle really bad, really bad. Awful. And yeah. fell down hard. He's looking at me like, "Did I just break my ankle?" Looking right. at him like, "Did you just break your ankle?" <laughs> and I'm thinking, first I'm thinking, "All right, 20 years plus six months plus however many thousands of dollars. And so I'm being, you're done in three I'm completely miles. selfish at this point. And I'm like three miles in, what the heck? And then I'm thinking, Oh wait, if I have to get him out of here, how am I going to get him out of here? I'm thinking, Oh, can we get back to the parking area? Maybe someone's still lingering around or maybe we'll just spend the night and, get a ride back with someone who's being dropped off to start the hike tomorrow. So I'm doing all this kind of this, this emergency evacuation in my head. And then we tape up his ankle and we're kind of looking at things. He's hiking with hiking poles. And the last time he sprained his ankle here in London, they have a policy now on the NHS, the national health service where they don't Mm -hmm. give out crutches anymore because it's an expense. Right. to justify not giving out crunches, uh, crutches and to save on the expense, they say, well, an ankle will only heal, a sprained ankle will only heal if you walk on it, if you strengthen it. So I always thought that was a little BS, but right. I used that line on him <laughs> to get him moving again. And so he started moving, and albeit slowly and we finished our first day with 14 miles which was pretty good so he did he did a good 11, yeah. 11 miles on his hurt ankle and 
we 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 got into camp and he's like, "Oh, it feels better now. It's just a little stiff. I got to stretch it before we start." And the very next day, a mile into our hike, turn the other angle. <laughs> he sprains the other ankle. And you see, it would it's funny that that happened and you think it it would end there, but Every day for the next six days, I sprayed my ankles, alternating feet. And then as we were coming up to our first hundred miles, like point one before we got to the marker, I turned my ankle and dad lost it. He was throwing his poles. He threw his back off. He was like, God damn it. We were this close. I threw my poles into the woods. I was just, I threw my pack on the ground. I was kicking and sc- I was so angry. And then I looked down. I'm like, okay, all right, I'm sorry. I just need to get that out. Just a little emotional. And then I looked down at his feet and his shoes are untied. Yeah. So he sprained his ankle. <laughs> his boot, he, had high, he had high top boots and they were untied. <laughs> so, yep. Yeah, so there was no help. And then we thought we were over it. And then he sprained his ankle coming into Harper's Ferry. So there was no, yeah, there was no was getting around it. But. The, the, back to the culture shock. We're at we're at Hawk Mountain after he sprained his ankle. After we're, we've figured out that we're going to do a second day, and we're, we go <laughs> we go over to put our food in the bear box. This is your favorite story. It's my favorite story. At Hawk Mountain Shelter, we didn't know. So we're following the guidebook as everyone does, and we and we arrive at Hawk Mountain Shelter, and there's a ridge runner there. And it's the second ridge runner we met. And he was really surly, and there was there was a good fifty odd people. There were a lot of people. There was a lot of people in the campsite, and the shelter was full. Someone's cutting down a tree to start a campfire, and we didn't know whether we wanted to stay there or push on a little further. But he's like, "It's a good day. Are you staying here or not? We need to write your name down if you're staying here." So we agreed to stay there, and so we put our food. We brought our food over to the bear box, which is by the shelter. And there's this young guy. He's kind of showing off for the young ladies in camp and he's cutting down a tree and starting a campfire. And I'm thinking, how long is this going to last? How many campfires are there going to be on, on, a, on a through hike? And Aiden grabs my arm and he's like, dad, dad. I was like, what? He's like that woman over there. And I look over and this woman, she's a woman, but she must've been 19 years old if she was a day. So I see, mm-hmm. I see a young, I see a teenage, I see a teenager, not much older than, the, my my son standing next to me, so I I'm like okay, and he goes, that woman over there, she's smoking crack, <laughs> and I was like, and I look over and there's this this young lady, she's sitting on the edge of the shelter and she's she's lighting a glass bowl of marijuana, and so she's mm. she's taking a puff of some pot, and I go, right. I said, no, it's only marijuana, and he. He turns his head to me in this long, dramatic way, and he goes, "Only marijuana?" <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, uh, wait, uh, yeah, yeah, no, I know, no, I, I agree, yeah, it's really bad, it's really bad. You're right, it's so bad. But you know, in the in the range of drugs that she could be doing, crack <laughs> would be so much worse." And he's like. I can't believe you. And I, and so I finally had to say, I was like, okay, you're going to see some stuff on this through hike <laughs> that you wouldn't have seen had you not been on this through hike. And you probably wouldn't have seen until you go away to university. 
But you're going to have to know that if anyone offers you anything, you say no. And if you see something that is maybe a bit out of your norm, just turn away and come to me. <laughs> which is, which I thought would be a one-time warning um, <laughs> until we came out of the Smokies and visited Standing Bear Hostel for the, <laughs> accidentally, uh, during the 420 party, which was a thousand times <laughs> more, intense. more intense and uncomfortable. <laughs> the 420 party? Yeah, so... The Smoky Mountains were really rough for us. Oh, God. We hated them so much. Uh, there was a ridge runner who just seemed to chase us through there. That was just such a pain to deal with. And as we were coming out, even the birds had gotten to us. <laughs> and we started thinking of how you know they were hikers who didn't make it out. They got turned into birds. And then they, they're now haunting all the other hikers. And as soon as we came out, it was it was perfect and sunny. But I was beat, like I couldn't go another step. But Dad said, well, I'll, I'll cut you a deal. If we get out of the Smokies today, there's a hostel. Was it five miles? Five miles. Yeah. Five miles out of the Smokies. We'll buy a room and we can we can sleep in a bed that night. <laughs> um, and so I was like, fine. So I was, he was dragging me the five miles i was just dead to the world but as soon as we came up the driveway to uh standing bear i i picked up <laughs> and i i was reinvigorated only because i thought i might have to defend myself <laughs> as we came up it was lined with pickup trucks and dune buggies and there was a bluegrass band playing from somewhere we couldn't see through the trees and then sounds of like thousands of people. And as we came in, we realized since we hadn't been keeping track of, you know, what day it was specifically, it was April 20th, the 420 party. And apparently Standing Bear is known for it. So there were just hundreds of people there just going to town on marijuana. And just smoking and drinking and dancing and eating and 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 apparently 420 is an important time so we come into we come into standing bear and there's two campfires right inside the the kind of entry driveway and they must be 10 feet away from each other but at one campfire there's like a frat guy playing a playing a guitar singing stone temple pilots and not 10 feet away at the other campfire is another frat guy playing a guitar singing Pearl Jam. And it's it's like neither of them knew the other guy was there. And uh -huh. and so people come up and they're offering us edibles. And this one guy comes up, crashes his doom buggy into a stone wall, stumbles out to Aiden. He hands Aiden a three-quarter yeah, like half-empty half thing of Jack Daniels. He's like, here, I can't finish this. I've drank enough already. And he then Aiden's like, no, thank you. And he's like, the guy comes two inches from his nose, and he's like, how old are you? And he's like, I'm 14. He's like, then you don't want this. And then he goes, are you a cop? <laughs> so the whole time Aiden's going, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. We got to get out of here. We got to get out of here. They're gonna, the police are going to bust up this place. 
And I'm thinking, it's fine. We'll just go get our bunk. It's fine. He's like, I get, I'm going to get a contact high. <laughs> He's like, that woman offered me a cookie and a brownie. Is there, is there pot in the cookies and the brownies? Oh, yeah. yeah. There was, it was weird because there was all these adults smoking marijuana. But then on the other side of the lawn was like a family potluck. <laughs> so there were all these little kids running around. And so dad went over to the potluck and got me a cookie. And when we went in, he's like, if anyone offers you any baked goods, say no. So he hands me this cookie and I eat it. And then I took the first bite and I threw it on the ground. And I was like, you said don't eat any baked goods. <laughs> and he's like, no, this is fine. They were giving it to the kids. I was like, oh, that that should be the bar for what's safe here. Um, and so I started getting really panicked. And dad's like, Huh, maybe it was a marijuana cookie. Yeah, getting paranoid. <laughs> he's getting all paranoid. I'm like, it's not a pot cookie. It's not a pot cookie. And then 10 minutes in of him freaking out, I'm like, oh, maybe it is a pot cookie. <laughs> and then uh, one of the proprietors, I, I, mean, I figured he was a proprietor. Some guy comes over and he, he says, have you tried the bear? And we're like, what? And he's like, oh, yeah, a bear wandered under our property. So we shot it and we cooked it in a pit come try some bear. And I was like, no, thank you. I'm a vegetarian. But he dragged Aiden off to try some bear. Yeah. Yes. He dropped, he dragged me back to the potluck and there was just this massive bone in a tray and it just been picked clean. Like I could just imagine a swarm of people circling around it and then it just disappearing. But I managed to get a little slice and it, it had a taste. I didn't really know. And then when I came back and described it to dad, he's like, oh, yeah, gamey. It was gamey. So um, mm. my first try of bear apparently was very gamey. <laughs> but, yeah, the guy was really weird because he, he sold us a pizza. Okay. And dad went to go prepare it in a very unsafe oven that was, like, open, open-faced. So the heating was directly out. But I was sitting on a bench alone across from one of the campfires. And I knew to call it a night when one of the frat kids rocked up to the campfire with a Ziploc bag, a gallon Ziploc bag. And I was like, I couldn't quite see what was in it. And he's like, hey, guys, you want to make this campfire a really special campfire? And they're all like, yeah. And then he dumped a full gallon Ziploc bag of weed onto the campfire. And I was like, Dad, we got to go. We got to go. <laughs> and then when I, he, to, he told me, everyone's sw- circling around trying to s- sniff the campfire smoke for some reason. And he explained mm-hmm. what just happened. I said, that's not how that works. That guy just, that guy just destroyed a gallon's, just a gallon's worth of marijuana. And they're not getting anything out of this. He's like, I don't care. I got to go now. <laughs> so, yeah, the culture shock was um, – it went all the way up the trail. I mean, we came out of uh, – we came out of where was uh, where's Dartmouth? Uh, Vermont, New Hampshire. Um, no, Vermont. Hanover. Han- Hanover. Hanover. New Hampshire. So we came out of Hanover. Sorry, we came out of Hanover, New Hampshire. We went to the first shelter, and the first shelter or campsite out of any town is always the worst campfire campsite or shelter that you can possibly find. It's either strewn with broken bottles and litter or it's completely packed with the people who don't want to pay for a room in town 
which is what which was yeah. us. And so we <laughs> we climbed up the hill and went to the campsite, and the campsite was completely packed. And as we're coming through, people are cooking on their stoves and, and ch- chatting around the shelter area. And one woman says, where are all these people coming from? And I just made this kind of passing joke. I said, Hanover. And she's like, I was being facetious. And I said, so was I. And so we find the one empty tent site. And it's packed. There's hammocks hanging everywhere. There's tents on top of each other. And so there was a tent and then a really flat open spot. It was the last spot. And there was a young lady brushing her teeth. And we had seen her a couple of times. We had kind of leapfrogged her and her hiking partner a couple of times up the trail. But we never really had a conversation or, or, or struck up a friendship. And she's brushing her teeth right next to her tent and just spinning it right down onto the doorway of her tent. So I thought that was quite interesting. But it was the only tent site in in the campsite and i said is that do you i was being my jovial self i said do you mind having a couple of neighbors thinking sure you know that's the only tent site you'll mm-hmm. have she said actually i think someone who's up at the shelter is going to be pitching their tent there and i said I, and everyone up at the shelter looked pretty comfortable like there was it was getting dark right it didn't look like there was any urgency and with that many people coming into camp, you would think, I'm going to get my tent up before I lose my spot. Absolutely. So I call up to the people at the shelter. He says, is anyone planning on pitching a tent here? No answer. And I said, do you mind if you have a couple of neighbors? <laughs> and she kind of grunts at us and cr- climbs into her, her tent. And then her 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 um, her boyfriend, I think, her, her, her Some trail husband. Trail husband came up and climbed into the tent and they were kind of grumbling at each other as we were setting up our tent obviously upset that they had neighbors but then (laughs) i guess they were resolved that even if they had neighbors they had plans for the evening and so they they go ahead and proceed with their proceedings and they had the really loud air mattress the big agnes air mattress that (laughs) crinkles when you move around on it but there was a particular rhythm to the crinkling. And so Aiden, so Aiden's like, oh, my God, is this really happening? I said, here, put your headphones on, watch a movie. <laughs> so I, I, gave, I, I took a uh, gave, I made an exemption from the no electronics rule and gave him a movie to listen to. <laughs> but that was all the, all the way north, the um, hiking, with a, hiking with a kid, the yeah. culture shock. The trail... No matter how how long we spend in between towns, the trail never ceased to surprise. Whether that ranged from learning new words from uh, my dad or my uncle, or uh, finding stuff along the trail that definitely shouldn't be there, it it was definitely a unique experience. How did your dad convince you? talk you into or whatever variation that is to go with him on the trail well like he said he'd been wanting to do it since he was in college so he's had he had it in his mind for a while and at the time he was Mm -hmm. homeschooling me so he thought that it would be a good idea to study it for geography uh, as sort of just a project a research project so he said all right 
why don't you look into what it is? If we were to do it hypothetically, how long it would take, how we would do it. And then as a school project, you could present it to your mother. <laughs> the principal. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the same as when he wanted to get me a skateboard, <laughs> but I never got to use the skateboard. So I, I did the research. I looked into it. And as I was researching it, I, I looked at it. And I was like, well, oh, this, this is kind of cool. Oh, that would be fun. So through my, you know, looking into it, I sort of developed my own, you know, fantasy about hiking the trail. So by the time I, the project was finished and I presented it, presented it to my mom, I, I was right alongside him going, this is something I'd like to do. Can we make this happen? And what was her response? To both of our surprise, uh, <laughs> it was very positive. Usually there's a let me think about it or we'll see. But this time she was very, okay, if we're going to do this, we need to te- check, check off this, this, and this. And we need to make sure this, this, and this happens. So it was very... She's very thorough and happy to plan it with us. She was enthusiastic, which was surprising because we didn't present it as this is this is why he did this project. We want to go. Mm-hmm. It was because I as a ho- homeschooling was a big choice for us to do it for Aiden. We have two other children who haven't been homeschooled, but Aiden the school situation that he was in, it just wasn't working and we needed to have kind of a break from mainstream school for him. And so homeschooling was a great idea and it worked really well for him, but there needed to be some accountability. I needed to have someone, he couldn't just show me what he was doing because it, it, it felt like there wasn't as, enough import. There wasn't enough kind of legitimacy. So whenever I assigned something and he had to present a big project, it would be to both of us. One, to show her that it was the right choice for him to be home. And he, he wasn't just slacking off and I, you know, I wasn't teaching him anything. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it, it's a way to kind of showcase what he's doing. And, and so when he was doing the project, we made kind of themes. So the theme was the Appalachian Trail. So his English um, literature reading was Bryson's Walk in the Woods. Yeah. Thoreau's walking, uh, it was Earl Schaefer's walking with spring and he'd have to read those and keep a, a reading journal and make book reports on those books. So it was very thematic. And so for about a month or two, every, all of our lessons, the maths was, the math lessons were about budgeting, mileage, resupply, you know, geography was about, um, the Appalachian, mountain range it was about different types of microclimates and the forests that we were going that you that one ultimately that we were going to see but at the time of the project that one would encounter and so right so it was really in depth and it was really kind of all encompassing so he had a a real understanding of what it would take and so when we presented oh she's just walked in the door hey hello hello <laughs> So when we presented it to Helen and said, this is what he's learned, she said, you got to do it. And she bought us plane tickets like the next day. So it was, it became an inevitability. Right. It always wasn't. 
You knew it was going to happen one way or another? Yeah, I've known since, what, 1994? (laughs) That it it was coming at some point. Definitely, definitely. But little did you know your son was going to join. Right. Actually, I was relieved my son was going to join. (laughs) I'm understanding you're relieving your relief after hearing some of these stories. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I gave them pretty strict considerations that had to be met before they were going to go. And before, I, you know, I was really thrilled. I, I think I've always known since I met Scott, how important uh, being outside and, and having an outdoor lifestyle was to him. And we kind of came from very different backgrounds, although we had certain similarities but um, being outside wasn't a priority as much for me as it was for him. But because, you know, I love him so much, um, I thought, okay, this is something I'm going to have to make a part of my life too. And I think when, you know, he was talking about doing it when, when we first met in university, it just scared the living daylights out of me. <laughs> I, I would, you know, honestly, I'm like, who does that? It's like, okay. And then how to explain to my family that my husband you know, or my, my, my boyfriend's stroke fiance at that time wanted to be a hobo for like six, six, six months. <laughs> Cause that's kind of what I thought it was that I just didn't really know much about it. And a lot of people didn't really know much about it, but I was more concerned and scared for his safety and also being away from him for so long, you know, what that would do to mm-hmm. a, a young fledgling relationship. But I've always known in, in the back of my mind that this was something that he was going to do. And I, wanted to be a part of it, either to do it with him, but I was really relieved that I could send somebody else <laughs> in my stead. So I gave birth <laughs> to a child. There you go. <laughs> and then when I knew, you know, he would probably want to do more than the AD, I thought, hey, have more kids and then he can go on more outdoor adventures. <laughs> and then, uh, no, I enjoy being out outdoors and being a part of it. And I think for... Um, the proposition of, of having Aiden as, as a 14-year-old doing something so dynamic and amazing and life-changing, it was without question. And I couldn't think of a better person in the world who would teach him those lessons and keep him safe and make it such an amazing experience than Scott. Um, but I think mm-hmm. in today's society, you know, because we are so connected with technology and everything moves at such a rapid pace... And even though our world is so international and so global from a communications perspective, sometimes we lose that um, person-to-person contact. And I think that's what we wanted Aiden to experience firsthand. Yeah, I, I can totally see that being on the trail. Everything slows down. Absolutely. Did you guys hike with a sort of trail family while you were out there? Uh, you know, kind of the, that group of people that you're hanging around with in the bubble with no no surprisingly i mean we really we started out with one other person that we didn't know and can i say his name what's his trail name that's that's interesting um <laughs> <laughs> he has many he has like seven our, our trail name for him is totem totem okay. totem pole because on on the way up springer Actually, before we even started, in the parking lot leading up to Springer, his hiking pole broke. And so oh boy. we kind of hobbled it together for him. And then it broke like subsequent times 
And then we 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 lost him early on. Yeah. So yeah, we hiked. I think the first two or three days with him, and then it started getting a bit further between when we'd see him on the trail, and, and then, then we and then we just sort of made our own path. So for most most if not all of the trail, it was just me and Dad hiking. We'd we'd have trail regulars, like there was a group of four college kids. Oh, yeah. That we'd call the pen men that we see every so often. Um, and there was uh, a man named Jay. And oh, we hiked with Jay for about 13 days. 13 in, days. Um, the through the Whites and up into Maine. And then we, we around the Bigelows, we broke up. So he he's actually the person that we've hiked with the most and we actually became quite close. And I think we probably would have, if our schedules lined up, we probably would have finished the trail with him. Yeah. And that was the closest thing that we had to a kind of a trail family. Um, but that was very much out of circumstance because of the weather and the kind of fear going into the whites at, at that time. No trail families to, to speak of. And I think because... I mean, inexplicably, Aiden and I were two of the fastest hikers yeah, on the trail. Yeah, a lot of people that, yeah. were surprised. Like, when we'd see the pen men, they'd always be, we'd always be resting, and they'd be coming up the trail behind us, and they'd be like, what the hell are you guys doing here? We left you behind in town, like, two days ago. So it was, we'd always break through the next hiker bubble into another, and then right. in a day or two, we'd be, you know, through it and on to the next one. We weren't trying to go fast, but we didn't, because we weren't in these social groups, we didn't spend a lot of time kind of hanging out or, you know, spending a lot of time in right. town. We only, I mean, of the of our whole hike, we had 10 zeros and one, and most of them were weather related. And, and so, and we'd hike from, you know, when the sun came up till the sun went down. And so we just kind of, we weren't fast hikers. I, I had this complaint. <laughs> I'd always yell at Aiden because we never actually passed anyone physically. We never walked by <laughs> anyone on the trail. Everyone was always walking by us incredibly fast. And I'd say, can we just pass one person once? Because I just felt like we were crawling, but then... I don't know, because by the time I met up with you guys in the last 100 miles, you guys were mountain goats. I mean, it was really, really <laughs> intimidating. You know, coming... I, I was so happy and thrilled to be seeing them after all that time, but to see how they had physically changed, mentally changed, and just how proficient they were at hiking was insane. Just the way that they could walk a trail at, at any time of day and just the normal person kind of trying to keep up with them at that point, they almost were mm -hmm. like superhuman. They really were like mountain goats, especially climbing. It was crazy. So how was that for you then jumping on the trail at that <laughs> point versus oh, yeah. them? I, I could see some frustration on their side. I could see frustration on your side. Yeah, it was. It well, was, actually oh. there wasn't frustration on my side because I had broken my rib about oh god three about a week before, so I was really looking for an excuse to slow down a little. 
So I fell in the Mahusik notch and broke a rib. And we were with Jay at the time, the gentleman who was hiking with us, and he's mm-hmm. an EMT. And he Thank and God. he triaged me and said, yeah, it's broken. We got to get you off the trail. And I said, well, what would they do to a broken rib? They said, they just strap you up. They can't do anything. So I just pulled my pack straps tight. And I said, we're so close to the end. <laughs> We might as well just finish it. We were like four weeks uh, We away. were like three weeks from the end, and it was the most miserable experience. That It was so bad that when we finally met up with Helen, I was like, okay, now I have an excuse. We could slow down a little. So sorry. To, I just wanted to, I wanted to give you some context before Helen explained to her. Right. Uh, to be honest with you, I don't think anything I could have done or watched or read would have prepared me for that. And and I don't care what anybody says. The 100-mile the, the wilderness and Mount Katahdin were – it was just a crazy cross-section of, of every kind of hell and pleasure and – <laughs> you could imagine and and you know from climbing what was it burn mountain oh, yeah. <laughs> i mean i i consider myself to be one tough bird you know like there is not a lot of things on this world that would break me but i have never been broken like i was broken at the top of Barren mountain tears <laughs> just crazy I, I i felt like i was jack and the beanstalk climbing to the castle in the sky and i was just never gonna get there and it was one of the first big climbs, and I kept saying to myself, I have to keep up with these guys, and I have to show them, you know, I want them to be as proud of me as I am of them, kind of doing this off the couch. And, yeah, it was it was, um, it was a really, it was a really uh, enlightening situation, standing on the top of that mountain, just broken and bawling, but so excited and happy and frustrated. And I think the only, the only other time during that hike, you know, I kind of went with the, you know, the swings and roundabouts, you know, the pleasures and the pain throughout the rest of the wilderness. Mm -hmm. But the last, I think the last 10 miles was just muddy Dagobah. And, and at one point my foot just sunk in to just about my knee of mud. And I went to pull my foot out and my boot came off with it. And it was, uh, I thought this is just this is just hell on earth. Get me out of here. <laughs> but you know, then to look at them and say, "Gosh, what they've been through," I can do this. The I best, really can. the best part about that that boot loss. <laughs> she had been complaining for three days about the mud and the rock and the roots, and she put her foot down. She's like, "I'm not standing on one more root. I'm going to slip again." So she stands. She just steps in this mud puddle, <laughs> and her leg goes in. And she pulls her leg out with this squelch, and there's just a, a purple sock. And oh, and I look to where she stepped in, and it's just filling with water. <laughs> and so it was it was so saturated, and she just stands there, like with a tripod, holding her purple sock up, two poles and her her one booted foot, and she's mm-hmm. just like crying, <laughs> and I'm just laughing. And she's just looking at me like, yeah. you son of a bitch, I hate you so much. And I'm like, it's fine. It's fine. It's okay. It's, I'm sorry. And I just couldn't help but laughing through my teeth. And we're just, and I'm just thinking, am I going to find this boot? <laughs> because it was just completely consumed. That was the, I know mom was doing very well at keeping her rage in check. That was the first day. <laughs> 
I saw it got to her because uh, our uncle or my uncle uh, had joined us again with mom to hike. And he's not known for his good temper. So I was I was up ahead with him and we were resting on a log waiting for them. And as I saw them come up, uh, he sort of grabbed my wrist and, you know, pulled me back down and let them pass. And then he's like, I think we should give them a minute. So coming from a man who blows up at the, the slightest thing for him to be like, let's sit this one out was pretty interesting for me to see. But I'm I'm really glad I do it again in a heartbeat. Um, but I'm really glad I experienced that with them because, you know, although I had been watching them just about every every minute, and and I feel as if I was I was with them experiencing this stuff too because I was just so enthralled with what they were doing and where they were going and the people they were interacting with that it was good to to be there and experience that with them and and it gave me so much respect for the physical challenge that the Appalachian Trail is i don't think anybody can really grasp the 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 enormity of putting your body through that without having to go on on an extensive long distance hike so I have so much admiration. The way that I look at through hikers now is completely different. I don't know, you know, kind of gone is this kind of image of these people who are like hobos and <laughs> just kind of passing mm-hmm. through. Right. But I mean, these, the, I think everybody through hikes for a different reason. And the people that I met either through Scott and Aiden and through their stories and the people that we still keep in touch with now that they met on the trail it's given me a lot of dimension to, to why people do these types of things and, and how enriching it is for uh, their lives and, you know, what, what the draw is and the attraction. And, and the last thing I would ever expect is Scott and Scott and Aiden to turn to me and say, I really want to hike that again one day. Um, And it took a couple months, actually like a year, I'd say a year but Scott said to me one day, I think I want to hike the AT again. <laughs> and, and, and I was like, wow, yeah, I get it. I really, I really, really get mm-hmm. it. Um, and I hope one day to to hike the AT with him and Aiden or any other member of my family. Because I think, you know, just from the, the small little section that I did, um, I can only imagine how much fun and how exhilarating, but utterly exhausting it is. You, you're, you've been converted. I think I've been converted. As long as there's some really nice Marriott's on the way, I'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we found we found them all actually. <laughs> like any any thoughts of doing like the PCT maybe or something like that? No. Um, <laughs> it's funny. Do you wanna, interesting. Do you want to tell that? No, you. So. I've always, I've grew up on the East Coast. I grew up right near Harriman State Park. And so I hiked the AT on weekends, like with the scouts. And then when I was older with my friends in high school, it was the AT was the length of trail that we would always gravitate back towards. And so that was the trail in my personal lore. And so right. when we, the, the day we started, there was a, um, a couple who were hiking. And one of the hikers, the the young man, had hiked the PCT. 
and mm-hmm. there was this there was this almost holy reverence assigned him or afforded him and it was you had to say it in kind of hushed tones it was pct you know he did the pct oh he oh he did, <laughs> oh he did the pct oh which one did oh wow the pct and it was always this like it, and and a lot of the hikers we met who were like future triple crowners or aspire aspiring triple crowners were like you know i'm i'm hiking the at to train for the pct it was almost like the at was this kind of afterthought or, or this this disparaging mm-hmm. little thing that you had to do so that you could get onto the real trails and and a, a fair number of them f- dropped off the at because it was too hard and and when and whenever you meet new people on the trail and other through hikers, they're like, "Oh, you're hiking the AT, yeah? Are you going to do the PCT next?" And whenever we said no, it was a shock to their system. It was like almost like we had. It was a counterintuitive answer. Of course, after the AT, you're going to do the PCT, and after the PCT, you're going to do the CDT, and then you'll go down and do the New Zealand Trail and. Maybe you'll you know go to Spain and do Santiago, and it was and so it was when we said no. If I do a through hike again, I'm going to do the AT again. That was a very. It seemed to be an unusual answer. Um, I don't want to do the PCT simply because I have a brother who lives in Southern California, and we've hiked in the desert, and I have no interest in hiking in the desert. And <laughs> so if I said let's hike the PCT, I. We go to New Zealand instead. <laughs> <laughs> so, so like there, I want I, I like I want to do with anyone in the family. I want to do the John Muir Trail. Okay. I want to do the Colorado Trail, which are sections of the CDT and the and the PCT. Right. But I I have no interest in in hiking jeep paths through pasture land and on the CDT. And like long, straight, horizon, hypnotizing, joyless trudges just to say I walked 3,000 miles. I'd rather do the – the thing about the AT is that it's always varying. It's always varying in its, in its ecology, in its landscape, in its forestry. I mean you're hiking the same mountain range, but – there's there's there are there are episodic components to it um and the stuff that doesn't interest me in the other trails i'd i'd happily skip so right. the pct is not and I, I i don't know if aiden maybe when aiden gets older and learns more about it it'll be something but for me the pct and the cdt as a whole as whole trails are not are not um on the list of things to accomplish Right. Your religion is the AT. Yes. No bow for life. <laughs> <laughs> now, what about you, Aiden? What is, what is your thought process about the, about the trails, the other trails or the AT specifically? Um, I'm interested in the other trails, not, not to hike so much, if it makes sense, but just the people that come off them. Cause a lot of, a lot of the people we met on the AT, like Dad said, we're like, "Oh, you hiking the PCT next?" And they're part of the reason that I'm put off by them. There's this one hostel owner called Spartacus, 
and he's he was relaying stories about the PCT, but he made what should have sounded like a lovely, you know, hiking trail like the AT is or experiences like that just sound like a frat party because he'd be like hmm. he talked about the people he hiked to, hiked with he's like oh they're oh and then banana pants rocked up and it was <laughs> you know, it, was, it was sick for a couple of days it's like that's not really my type of hiking and you know from the stories i've heard it it sounds like it's mostly that sort of dude bro mentality on the other trails so I, I don't really have interest to go hike them, but I just think it's interesting the kind of people that come off them. Right. Interesting. Okay. As they all say, hike your own yeah. hike. Yeah, it's funny. The We definitely did hike our own hike. I mean, we found a lot of the time we were alone. And, and it was only when you kind of come to town or kind of – popular shelter areas that we ran into other people and some people would whisk by us, but it wasn't as crowded as I expected it to be. And it wasn't a, like, there was a lot of times where we were just hiking 12 hours straight through the rain and we wouldn't see another hiker all day. And we'd just pitch a tent in a stealth spot and it would be, it wouldn't be till lunch the next day where we'd come up to a shelter and it was still raining and the shelter would be packed full of people. and so we we always used to say that the trail was ours. We'd always say that to each other, right? Because it was very it was very solitary a lot of the time. And so, what I'm I mean, I have a friend now that we hiked, we kind of leapfrogged up through Massachusetts with, and she just started the PCT, and her instagram feed which seems to be posted every day so i don't know whether they have like cell towers on the pct or something but there's like 50 or 60 people just constantly in these in these group shots hiking and and i it's i think the more people that are on the trail it's harder to hike your own hike i mean there was there were definitely personalities that we couldn't escape when we were stuck in certain bubbles and it makes it really difficult to hike your own hike when there are these very strong personalities and and so and that's one of and I think that uh, that's kind of the point Aiden was making yeah. that we there were certain bubbles that we were happy to leave because of the that them hiking their hike was impeding or imposing on not only our hike but the other hikers around us and there was it, was, it made it for it made uncomfortable sometimes yeah. No, I, I do I do get the sense that there can develop a mentality within certain groups, either healthy or not. Yeah, I mean when we were hiking with Jay it was definitely a healthy and when we were and mm-hmm. we and, and Jay was an experienced hiker. He had hiked it in twenty fifteen and got I think he got to Massachusetts and just went, I'm going home. And in, and, <laughs> and instead in twenty seventeen when he had an opportunity to do it again, instead of going to where he stopped in Massachusetts he started again to do the whole thing through. And mm-hmm. and when we were hiking with him, it was a very healthy relationship and, and, and environment. So I, I we have seen and the pen men were really camaraderie like we we've seen positive mm-hmm. um trail families and we've seen very competitive, you know, negative yeah. 
experience too. So yeah, I, speaking I, of the the positive though, I mean, <clears throat> one of the things that <clears throat> one of the few fears I had was how I would be able to run kind of command central for these guys from three thousand miles away. I mean, the time difference certainly helped, but mm-hmm. I was really pleased at how um, willing to help trail angels were and, and local people that I were able, I was able to contact through, you know, various, you know, numbers or, I mean, I would hit a lot of dead ends and sometimes, especially in the South when they were, you know, coming up the first half of the trail, trying to keep ahead of them to say, okay, well, if they're going to need a resupply or if they're going to need to find somebody who will give them a ride from, you know, the trailhead to town and back again, um, it wasn't always the easiest thing, but I don't know if it was just, you know, dumb luck or kind of just right time, right place. But, but I was able to get in contact with some really tremendously helpful people who were really selfless. And I can think of a, a hostel owner who, you know, her hostel was closed for renovations yeah, and yeah, and they, they needed a resupply. And she literally said to me, I'm in my old Land Rover. I'm going to throw on my boots and my box of food and I'm going to go meet them right now. And, and that was just so amazing that, that there were these people there who were, were so invested in what was going around, you know, what was going on in their neighborhood and these caring for these hikers, you know, they didn't know who they were or what they were doing. Um, just a great, great, uh, a great thing to say about humanity and, and with the trail and how it impacts people. So, yeah, I mean, when I was on the trail with them, there were some not so nice people, but a fair majority of, of hikers were just really wonderful and interested about um, other hikers and wanting to help. And then anyone you came in contact with, generally locals and people who are passing through, just that kind of human interest in such an amazing endeavor. How were you finding the the trail angels or the help? Was there like a website or or Facebook? I was using the guidebook. Yes, uh, at the okay. AWOL. Which the guidebook? AWOL guide. Um, we had the ATC guide. Yeah, the ATC guide. I was also, you know, because I would I would sit in my office at my desk and I had a desktop in front of me for a lot of the times, um, and I would either go into work early or stay up late. And just Google and try to Google and find, I would find blogs sometimes about hikers who would write about a particular area in the South, you know, when, if they were coming up to a small town, I also just was just kind of going, kind of following you know, jumping down the rabbit hole to try to find, you know, anyone who had posted something or had a phone number or the name of a trail angel or a restaurant or a hotel. And sometimes if I would just call up that hotel that was used to having hikers at it, they would give me the name of a trail angel or, you know, another hotel or bed and breakfast or hostel, um, you know, or someone could, who could provide a shuttle ride for them. But it, it was not something that was very easy. I mean, the AWOL guide mm-hmm. was, was a great place to start, but the information is constantly changing, you know, because trail yeah. angels would say, yeah, I, I don't do that anymore. My, you know, my husband died or, you know, I got sick and I can't drive anymore. So, you know, you really do have to rely a lot on the internet. It was funny because when Helen would tell me how she found this person, if I had to forensically put together the path, <laughs> it would look like just an ins- like the wall of an, ins- an asylum. 
It would have been a murder. Yeah, block. exactly. <laughs> it, it, w- it wouldn't make like this person leads to this person to that hotel who has a phone number for that person who runs a who's a carpenter but also so does the it, it was the most bizarre. And the thing, the thing too about it is that whenever any of these people arrived, they they just were there waiting. I mean, we we came under under these power lines that were buzzing with electricity in this horrible lightning storm into this town. I can't remember the town. It was it was a really small. One. It was a it was a it was a burg. It was just a, a just a one lane town. But this woman's there in her in Mini her bag. in her minivan. <laughs> The heat is blasting. She has newspapers for us to stuff our boots full. She's got a couple of cold root beers or hot chocolate, depending on how we felt. (laughs) She had the heat just blowing on us. And Aiden climbs in the back and he just, it's like he was enveloped in like a big downy comforter. She's, She's giving him all her attention. Oh, how are you? Oh, I'm so proud of you. Never met her. In our lives, but she treats us like grandma. And mm-hmm. she goes, I spoke to Helen. <laughs> she told me to give you a hug. It was just like, it was like they were old friends. We came into Damascus yeah. to this bed and breakfast. Uh, she's like, The Mount Laurel Inn. The Mountain Laurel Inn. Mountain Laurel Inn. Mount Laurel? Mount Laurel Inn. Mount Laurel Inn in, in, in Damascus. Yeah. We come up again, a 20 hour day through the rain. And Aiden comes up, almost collapses on the front, um, on the kind of covered, just porch. beautiful covered porch. The owner comes out and she goes, oh, Aiden, I'm so <laughs> proud of you. Your mother said you were coming. Your mother, she's like, Helen, you're, he says to me, Helen says that he likes spaghetti bolognese. And we don't, we, we don't, don't sir- yeah. Oh, yeah, go ahead. She's like, we don't usually do this. But we made him and you a big pot of spaghetti bolognese just for you. So, so we come off the trail and they have, it's a bed and breakfast. They don't do dinner. But she's like, mm-hmm. go ahead, take a bath, come on down, and we've made you dinner. Yeah. And you've, we've made you your favorite dinner. And Aiden's just like, oh, I never want to leave. Yeah. I remember. <laughs> Her name was Kathleen McMahon from the Mountain Laurel Inn. And she was just so sweet and just really went out of her way to help them at a time where I, I couldn't, I had called over all over Damascus, couldn't find them, couldn't find them a shuttle driver, couldn't, couldn't find them any place to stay. Everything was booked up. And after probably about a half an hour of calling around, I just happened to speak to this other B and B who said, well, you know what? There is this place that, that isn't really on, they don't have any websites yet. They're not really listed on anything they just opened late last year. It's called the Mountain Laurel Inn. You know, give her a call. Tell her I, I, I sent you over. And, and that was it. And she just said to me, well, what does your son like to eat? And I said, well, he really loves pasta. <laughs> that was really, it was really great. It, it sounds like kind of twofold. I mean, you guys were extremely lucky that, that mom was, was essentially back in, in England running logistics for you. Because that is certainly not something that most of the through hikers get the opportunity to have. No, not at all. She was sort of like forward control, like <laughs> getting you up the trail. My services are for hire, though. I think I'm going to start a company <laughs> to do this professionally because 
I'm telling you. It was, it was uh, a neat experience from my end too, but it was good to see how it helped them along. I mean, it had a, oh, it yeah. had a lot to do with those conditions that Helen was saying beforehand. If I like, like if I was solo hiking, I think if Aiden, when he's a young adult, he he has he's met some friends through the trail that they want to they want to hike it together without mom and without dad along, without mom involved. And I think if I did it as a solo hiker, there would be a lot less necessity for this kind of forward planning or this forward command center that we had. But Helen made it very clear. She said, "You're taking our 14 year old son." <laughs> to do this and so yeah. you know you have to have a satellite device that we can that has an sos button you have to mm-hmm. have you have to i have to be able to track where you are you know and the the devices these days you can see kind of everywhere you've walked when it's on and so yeah which one did you use we use the uh inreach the garmin inreach explorer plus explorer yeah. pro but we also in the subscription that we had um you know we had unlimited text communications which was really helpful we had the online tracking we could share the link with friends and family um but also i i had paid extra for outdoor you know the the mountaineering hiking insurance um and also mm-hmm. emergency rescue which i felt was really important because you know it was scott and my 14 year old son if, if it was just if it was just scott you know, I think we probably wouldn't have, <laughs> have done that, skimped. but, but, yeah. but I, I think it was really important and it was good to see that, I mean, I work in the insurance industry and I didn't even know these types of things existed. So at least I felt more comfortable that, you know, Scott had a device in his hand that if there was ever any problem, you know, he could push a button and, you know, they could, a SWAT team and the helicopters could come and <laughs> airlift them right. out. Yeah. Um, I mean, the priority was the hiking. The, you know, when it came to resupplying and I mean, if we could have someone meeting, if we could have someone meeting us at the road crossings, handing us a box and we would go off again, we would have done that. You know, it, it was less about the, you know, getting into town and learning about the, the towns weren't all that interesting to us. And, uh, and actually right. the ones that were, 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 rumored to be interesting were actually a letdown because the rumors built it up to be such a thing and and it didn't meet the expectations that we had for them so it was really for us it was about the hiking and so anything that could support the hiking was fair game and there there and and we hiked we we would only resupply after we hiked 100 miles so we passed a lot of towns you know there there were hikers who were at every road crossing, they were hitching into the nearest town. And we would just keep, we would bypass, you know, three or four towns until we hit that 100 miles. So we were carrying, you know, eight days of food, and we wouldn't stop until we hit that 100 miles. And and at a, at a, after a while, we were going beyond 100 miles before we would resupply. So when it came to resupplying, it had to be efficient, and it had to be something that there was as little stress, even though it was a very stressful situation, even, even with Helen doing all the things that she was doing, you know, mm-hmm. the satellite, de- there is a, there is still a satellite delay. So we would be texting, sending a text out saying, okay, oh, we're two days away from town or, you know, we're coming into town or we don't. And she, she would get a text that 
was late apt was sent before but arrived after she had sent a response or sent a question and so mm. there was lots of back and forth where we were talking in two different conversations so it was a even though it was we were really well supported there were elements where i just wanted to throw that thing off a mountain like it was just as convenient as it was there were times where i was just ready to just leave it behind and just you know do what we could on our own. So the, um, so yeah, we, we had, it was unique and it, but it was also good because I liked not having to, there was a lot of str- unnecessary stress for a lot of hikers who couldn't race, who couldn't win the race to town. And there were, a lot, right. there were a lot of disappointed, stressed hikers who couldn't get the room or didn't get a bunk at the hostel and had to quickly do a resupply and walk out of town at night. And that was not something that I was willing to do with Aiden. And so, like I said, if I was on my own, if I found myself in that situation, I'd, you know, walk out to the edge of town and pitch a tent or whatever, but I wasn't going to do it. When we left town, I wanted to make sure I was a good five miles from the road because I didn't want to have, you know, some hillbilly riding up and lighting the campfire with his friends and smashing bottles and, having my son there. Yeah. The, the AT is very accessible in that way. It is. And so we had a rule where we, we had to be at least two campsites away from a road before we stopped. And so okay. it was that, it was that kind of safety element that, you know, people might criticize and say, Oh, it's not a pure experience. If you're kind of relying on being supported, it's like the whole supported and unsupported record mm-hmm. keeping, but, um, yeah. for us, we were happy to be supported because, you know, we were, we were doing it with, with Aiden who I just wanted him to succeed in, in the hiking and be out, out in the woods. And I didn't want us to worry about the hitchhiking and the, cause we were awful yeah. at hitchhiking. I mean, we were, <laughs> we were awful at hitchhiking. The only rides we got were because someone saw me and went, Oh, that's a shame. Don't want to leave him on the side of the road. We even had. Uh, I think it was Hiawasi. An old lady picked us up on the side of the road, and she made a she made a joke. The first thing we she said when we got in the car, she was like, "You know, I wouldn't have picked you up if you didn't have your boy with you." <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, I I appreciate everything everything Dad did to sort of ensure peace of mind because I don't know if I would have enjoyed hitchhiking a ride to every town or. Like he said, coming in, resupplying, and then hiking back out again. Well, I mean, it gets it gets back to again that the old adage, "Hike your own hike," you know, and and whatever gets you through the miles, mm. through the you know from Springer Mountain to Katahdin. Yeah, and and there are five hundred different ways to split that. Were, was your plan all along, like from the beginning, that you would go like a hundred miles? before stopping or before resupplying or was that something that evolved when you guys were on the trail? Oh, you want to answer? You can answer. I think everything evolved. It was, there was very little, there was very, very little plan. Just, <laughs> just that we would, I think, I think the plan was, if I, 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 the plan was we would hike the full day. So mm-hmm. th- there was very little, um, you know, we wouldn't get to camp at four and wait until nine, just kind of sitting around for five hours. 
Because even if we hiked very, very slowly for that five hours, we'd be that much further. And so by the time we hit North Carolina, we were, we were doing, we were doing pretty good mileage, probably just shy of 20 miles a day, um, out of Georgia. And so, you know, you're just kind of naturally hiking a hundred miles in five days, just at, you know, or four or five days. Mm So it was, it just didn't seem, it didn't seem worthwhile to interrupt that to go into town if we still had like because carrying less than four days of food out of town didn't make sense to us and if we were hiking 100 miles you know in four days then that would that it just kind of how it landed the, the, the plan wasn't like we need to do this in four months or we need to do this in six months or we need to be home for a certain amount of time or we have a visa or We'll have a flight booked because mm-hmm. there were lots of people like Canadians who had a visa and had, and they were like run to yeah. the border. And, you know, someone was like, I'm getting married in June. So I got to finish this by June. <laughs> and it's like, it's holy. So, yeah. It, there was a lot of, a lot of external pressures on a lot of other hikers that we didn't have. But so we were kind of open just as long as we were walking, as long as we were moving forward, we were pretty, we're pretty open to what would happen or what, where things would lead. Is that right? I mean, do you yeah. agree with that? Yeah, I agree with that. It was cause there were days that we were just like, let's stop. Yeah, there were, there were a lot of, we weren't adverse to doing what we needed to do. It wasn't like a strict regimen, like other mm-hmm. people. You could sort of go with the flow of whatever you were feeling on a given day. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, a full day could be 12 miles. Depending on how hard that day was, I mean, the day. Yeah, you want to say tell me about? Like, yeah, tell me. um, one of the days I think we had hiked. What was it like? Twelve miles. Fourteen. We yeah we'd we'd hiked like fourteen miles that morning, um, but it was it was in the middle of a heat wave, and I I can't function in the cold too well, but in the heat I'm. I'm perfectly fine. Dad is the opposite way around. <laughs> so we stopped at we stopped at a little river running by a road and I was eating lunch under the impression that we still had like 10 odd miles to go. Uh and then I look over from eating my hummus and tortilla sandwich to dad and he's completely dying and he's like I think I need to have a zero day today. Oh, so zero we uh we got a ride into the nearest town it was more of a highway sort of rest stop but yeah we he said he needed to stop so we changed our plans and went to see a movie nice yeah wonder woman it was good <laughs> i mean that's that's one of those experiences that w- you would find kind of unusual on the trail mm. yeah i mean we saw two movies on uh, while we were. We saw one in Damascus because these great folks, the Mountain Laurel, wanted to see it as well. They drove us to the nearby town so we could see. Aiden wanted to see uh, Guardians of the Galaxy sequel, and he and mm-hmm. the and the the husband of the owner was like, "Hey, I want to see that too. I'll give you a ride," because no one was around to give us a ride. And then uh, I was like approaching heat stroke, and we ended up 
in an air conditioned movie theater in this little nowhereville and we watching milkshakes too. we had milkshakes and we're eating <laughs> popcorn and watching Wonder Woman and and then the next day we're out back out on the trail. It was really surreal. I mean the funny it's funny but it you know, the further north you get, when we were in New York we were having deli lunches every other day or every 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 day. So, you know, you cross so many roads and there's so many little Yeah. So that kind of detracted from the experience. So the mid Atlantic kind of New Jersey to the edge of Connecticut was a blur because we were doing 40 mile days. I mean, we 40 mile days. Yeah. So we did, um, I mentioned I grew up near Harriman and Mm -hmm. it, it used to be that we would take a three day weekend and we would hike from one side of Harriman on 17 a to the other side of Harriman over bear mountain state park. And it would take us three days to do it. Aiden and I did it in like six hours. <laughs> and so oh, Jesus. And so we left we left uh Orange Turnpike in Greenwood Lake and we um I said to my aunt, because she still lives down there, we had dinner with her the night before, and I said she said, Well, what are you planning on doing tomorrow? And I said, We're gonna hike from, you know, um Greenwood Lake to Bear Mountain. And she said Oh, you're not going to do that in one day. You know, there's no, it's impossible. You're not going to do that one day. And sure enough, <laughs> we, we were at Bear Mountain State Park at eight o'clock at night and we were going over the, over the bridge and up the next hill. And so, and then the next day we, uh, we ended up slack packing south for 38 miles in a day. And so the part that I was looking forward to because, I wanted to share these these really nostalgic trails with Aiden. It was a it was a blink of an eye. It was a whisk. It was it was it was one of the for, one of the many forgettable parts of the unforgettable trail. Really? Yeah. Did did you think about slowing down a little or you were just so in the flow that it was you just did what felt right in the day and and it became a blur. Yeah, I mean what's funny is we it was our first slack pack. So it was the first time we didn't carry full packs. And we okay. when we thought, Oh, we're gonna we're gonna go like six miles an hour. We're just gonna fly because we're we're as fit as we've ever been and we're not carrying all this weight. And after an hour, Aiden's like, I wanna see how we've done, just out of curiosity. And we hiked exactly the same speed <laughs> as we would have <laughs> if we had full packs. So like I like I said earlier, I mean we were hiking fast just without intention there was no there was no right. there was no we weren't running we weren't like doing trail running or anything and there was no urgency to what we were doing it's not like we were intending on on going that fast it's just that's how quickly the miles went because we hiked the full i mean we hiked the full day and that's what we were able to cover because the terrain was so I never knew it, but the terrain was so tame compared to the stuff we had come through already. Huh. What What was your guys' trail names out there? Uh, I was Canal Canut. You gotta say it slowly. Uh, Canal Canut. You gotta spell it. Uh, yeah, I haven't spelled it in a while. It's <laughs> K. <laughs> sorry, K A N A L 
K U N T. K A. A K A U N T. Start over. Oh my god. K A N. No. Yeah. Yes. K A N A L K A N U T. Canal Nut. There. And where did that come from? Um. So, as we said near the start of this call, we trained along the canal, uh, which was, it's about a 20-mile walk. And I don't think we mentioned the canal. So, the Grand Union Canal runs through London, which is uh, how goods and, and, and grains and hard goods were transported around the country. And so, now the canals are kind of leisure paths or the tow paths or biking and walking paths and you can actually canoe or kayak or actually live on a houseboat on the canal and so the canal runs near our house all the way up to Birmingham a couple hundred miles away and then it down into central London where it meets up with two other canals and so it was a good way to not have to walk on the streets and be kind of near nature and do our training hikes. So we would hike along the canal while we were training. Uh, yeah, so we'd hike along the canal, and we did this every Wednesday for six months up until we left. So other than the odd boat or the odd goose, it, it got pretty stale, like, scenery-wise. So in a ploy to distract myself, I started looking into the canal to try and find stuff and then i started noticing these coconuts floating in the canal i was like oh that's pretty weird um and then as a game to keep myself distracted i'd start counting them as i went and then i was like all right this is boring so i started counting them out loud and then i was like okay this is boring so then i went to uh shouting coconut every time i saw one and Every now and again, we'd have a distance between us. Like, he'd be hiking a little faster, I'd be hiking a little slower. And so I was like, alright, this is boring calling them out now. Uh, the ultimate evolution of the game, which would keep me entertained for the rest of the six months, was while well, Dad would be doing his own thing to keep him distracted and walking, every time I'd spot one, I'd run up behind him without him noticing, go right up to his ear and yell, Coconut! really loudly, uh, directly into his ear. And every time he'd be like, stop it! And so I kept doing it because it was what kept me entertained. And mom came on a training hike with us once and I was doing it and dad was getting super frustrated. She's like, what the hell's going on? I was like, oh, it's just this game I play to keep myself entertained. She's like, that, that would make for an interesting trail name. as like, uh, Canal Canal. And I, I thought, hey, yeah, that would be pretty cool. But as we thought about it more and more, we didn't know if the coconuts were there for like a nefarious purpose. If someone was, you know, putting them in there for a weird reason. Mm -hmm. uh, so we just put off finding out what it was about for ages. And then finally, curiosity got the better of us. And we looked it up. And apparently, because there's a large Sikh community in London. <laughs> sorry. My stuff knows makes it hard to say that. It was it was a <laughs> no Sikh community, right? Yeah, Sikh. Yeah, Sikh. Um, and they worshipped the water, like uh, the River Ganges and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so they used to put in vegetable boats into the canal 
but you know living in the city that's going to attract pigeons and rats and foxes and it just polluted the canal so the canal river trust went to them and they said is there anything else you can put in the canal uh and coconuts are sacred to them because they it has like human features hair or face so they started putting co- coconuts in as sort of a an offering and a worship oh, so no. we thought oh, i thought it was one love one died <laughs> no it's me oh, okay so um we thought it added a really nice element to the origin of the name so we decided to keep it so you were named before you got on the trail. Uh, we both were. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we the our our trail names we were And what is your trail name, Scott? Mr. Shoes. Huh. Okay. We we were open to the fact that we were either going to acquire one on the trail or but if something happened that led to like in our preparation for the trail that we were open to accepting a name that was kind of bestowed on us. I was I was kept put, putting off getting a trail name until I got onto the trail, but I had I was I had the same pair of hiking boots for the past fifteen years because I bought four pairs of the same boot when they were going out of when they were out of production when they were stopped right. when the company yeah. was putting them out of production because I'd loved these boots for so long. And I heard that they they, they were going to stop making them, so I bought four pairs. But by the time I was going to hike the trail with Aiden, my last pair had worn out. And so I had to, for the first time in like 20 years, go shopping for hiking shoes. And hiking shoes have developed, you know, in, you know, back when I was, when I was hiking, as a kid, Aiden's age, you know, the one, the boot you wanted was the Vasque Sundowner. It was full leather upper. It was like five and a half pound boot. I mean, it was just <laughs> a ridiculous mountaineering. Like you would hike the Matterhorn with this in the forties. And so I, w- the ones that had worn out were these suede Gore-Tex synthetic suede kind of combo thing. And that was considered cutting edge at the time. Like I was like the the greatest thing since sliced bread. But, you know, now trail runners, this, that. So I started doing all the research and didn't know what I wanted for my hiking shoes. So I went on this massive research project and ended up buying about 75 pairs of shoes (laughs) to try at home. And... Oh my god. And I would then return the ones that didn't work. <laughs> and so and when I and when I narrowed it down to things that I thought would be the right ones, I bought six pairs of them. So three for me and three for Aiden because we were going to we 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 pre-broke in our shoes before we went on the trail and then mailed them to us so that we wouldn't have to deal with kind of whatever was available in, in the shop. Aiden has wide feet. I'm very particular about my shoes, as you can tell. And so we didn't, yes. we, we didn't want to, we want, we didn't want to be victim to what was just available at whatever gear shop in whatever town, wherever our boots decide to fail. And so it was the Christmas season and we were returning six pairs of shoes and buying another six pairs of shoes. And we were in this long queue and everyone was doing their Christmas shopping. 
And this one guy behind this cashier behind his till said, I'm going on break. He announced, I'm going on break. And he was this Iranian guy who was wearing a Santa hat. And he said, and the manager said, can you take one more customer before you go on break? And he looked over at the line and saw Helen standing with a scented candle at the front of the line. And he said, sure, I'll take one more. So Helen walks up with the scented candle and I go up with 12 pairs of shoes. And he goes, no, I'm just helping her. And she, she rolls her eyes and says, we're together. And he's just so he's kicking himself because he's, <laughs> and so, and I, I said, and these six are returns. And so oh, he's just so angry that he's got to do a return. And then the shoes get mixed up in sizes and he can't, he, we have to help him pair them together and he's getting so flustered. And then, his till tape runs out, so he's got to replace the till tape. And finally, at some point, he just goes, you know who you are? You're Mr. Shoes. If I see Mr. Shoes coming, I go the other way. And so uh, Helen turns to me and goes, you got a trail name. <laughs> and yeah. So I had to kind of take it. It, it, you, it was very honestly earned. Yeah. <laughs> but my, the shoes worked. I didn't have any problems with my shoes. What did you end up using? Uh, we started with uh, full leather, keen Gore-Tex, high-top, uh, traditional hiking boots. Uh, even though we had full-top, full leather, high-top hiking boots, Aiden still sprained his ankle, like we said. And mm -hmm. then when we got um, a third of the way, we changed to synthetic, low-top, kind of a hybrid trail runner slash hiking shoe. It was more of a hiking shoe than a trail runner. I ironically didn't sprain my ankles in that shoe. <laughs> <laughs> and then we had we had two pairs of those till the end do you remember what those were or what the what they, the, they were keen the I, don't, I don't remember the the exact model but they they were all keens okay. all our shoes were keens the key the keens were good because they have a wide toe box and they have that mm -hmm. reinforced um they have a reinforced heel cup because i catch my heel coming off things so the the low heel cups or the soles that stop right at the heel cup usually get scuffed up or, or torn so they have a high reinforced heel cup and a really wide toe box with the rubber that comes up over the toe and not just stops at the edge of the toe. Ooh, so what's that? Really bad on durability. Though? No, they were really good. Yeah, they, they, they did a good job. But yeah, Keens, Keens, Keens did the work. Keens were where it was at. Yeah. I saw some um, pictures on your Instagram. You were, I think you kind of talked about it before, which was the slack packing. But you also have a picture of Aiden doing the work for stay. <laughs> yeah 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 the work the work for stay is an interesting story because we're gonna get in trouble uh yeah <laughs> it was the final final uh lodge in the whites and you know we were coming down it was pretty early in the day because we had got we'd moved much faster than we thought we were um well it was after four it was like four thirty. it was after four but we were still cautious because they've been known to turn away uh people come early saying oh people that come later might want to do it so um and it turns out we were exactly our fears were you know well founded because well <laughs> we went down uh, grafton notch is it grafton, grafton notch, notch. Yeah. we were sitting on a scenic overlook uh about a mile and a half before the actual lodge and we could see it and dad jay and i were sort of scheming hatching a plan 
how to get work for stay. Um, and he, dad turns to me and he puts his hand on my shoulder. He's like, how good are you at acting? And I said, I'm all right. And he's like, all right, when we get down there, you're going to have to do some acting. So we walked down. Well, I, I, don't, I don't interrupt, but we went with the best intentions. <laughs> we were hoping that every that they would be open to the notion that we hiked a full day because we hiked 20 miles from over Monroe. So mm-hmm. we we hiked as far as anyone's going to hike. And but we just somehow got there and they and before we went into the whites we we saw this we met this guy who's a security guard in um Hanover and he said, "Oh, I hiked last year. You guys are awesome. I'm going to give you some advice. If you're going to do the lodges in the whites, don't show up at a lodge before four o'clock because they'll turn you away. They'll make you keep hiking. But you have to get to the next lodge because you can't you can't camp anywhere. There's no stealth camping. So if you see that you're going to get there before four, slow down, take a break, and then show up at around four thirty, and they won't have any complaints, and they'll give you the spot. So we were following all the rules. We hiked the full day, good twenty five miles. Uh, we wait until after four thirty, but like Aiden said, we were making contingency plans if following the rules didn't work out the way we wanted. So right. sorry, sorry to interrupt. Aiden. So we get down there and we walk into the lodge, and there's still there's still some people there who had uh, driven up and were staying there for vacation. So the uh, the lodge attendants sort of ushered us outside till they were done with their whole skits and dinner. So then we went, we went back in, and we dad went up and he was sort of the head of our little group, and he said, "Hi, uh, we just did a about a twenty mile day, and my son here he's really tired. Uh, do you think we could do some work for stay?" And the lady was very hesitant she was like i'm sorry it's very early in the day there might be some hikers coming up and they might want to do it we have a campsite about two miles that way off trail if you want to stay there you're more than welcome it was actually 800 800 meters away 800 meters yeah it was yeah oh it was really close it was really they had a stealth campsite because the area was so sensitive they could they didn't want to risk people stealth camping places so they had they had a a tent site a little further away but we were interested in getting the leftovers and and we had never done a certain work for stay either so that was one of the experiences that you know people say to take advantage of so we were kind of eager one to do the work for stay to say we've done it but also to get some hot food and stay inside for the night and so dad looks at me and I turn it on. I, I go, oh, you know, I sprained my ankle coming down the mountain and I'm in extreme pain and I really need to stop <laughs> for the day. And so she's like, all right, let me talk about it, about it with my coworkers. And they all go into their, their room. We asked for ice and I was taping I taped up his ankle cuz we were so well versed in it that, that that was just routine. Yes. So we taped up his ankle. They gave us ice. We were icing it. He was elevating it. Um and then they came out and they said, "All right, normally we'd ask you to stay in the south camp, but since you know your son has an injury, 
I guess we could let you do work for stay for the night. And I know it 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 wasn't the greatest thing to do, but I think it was a good experience and I had fun. Um, we worked our asses off yeah. too. I mean, they gave us more work than I think. I think they caught on and they <laughs> they made yeah. atone for our sins. I I de I de iced the refrigerator and freezer. God and. We we did uh, sink maintenance. Uh, some Jay did some sink some plumbing work on the sink. We did all the pots and pans from like oh, breakfast, yeah. lunch, and dinner. We did we cleaned out behind some cabinetry. I mean, it was the most ridiculous work for stay that. I mean, I felt it was a bit punitive, but so you know, I think they 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 read into our especially our ruse. At one point in the night, I limped on the wrong leg um, than I had originally said. Uh, and one of the the workers was sort of like, wasn't it the other one? And I was like, oh, yeah. And sort of. Which really, which really irked me because he had tape on the one that he was supposed to be limping on. He got out of character for a moment. Yeah. What would, what would you think, what would you consider to be your best memory or experience on trail or your f- most favorite? Um, that's, that's tough. Can dad, can you go first? Cause I- <laughs> um, my favorite, ex- my best experience on trail. It's difficult, isn't it? It is. I'm just trying to think of all the things that happened. I've got mine if you're ready. Yeah, okay. Okay, um, our final day on trail, when we were at Mount Katahdin, uh, we, mom was with us, and we were, we were pumped up, we were like, yes, this is what it's all been building to, let's get it. So we were, we were hiking up, and it was a pleasant day, it was a great hike, we were laughing, telling jokes, scrambling up the rocks. So we were laughing and we were telling jokes, scrambling up the rocks. And earlier on our drive to the base of the mountain from the hostel we were staying at, the guide said, if you hear thunder or anything that sounds like thunder and you can't count to a thousand before you hear the next one, get off the mountain. So we were like, okay. As we were climbing, we get to the exposed rock. We start doing that. That's going great. Takes us about an hour to go 0.7. Like, it was very slow. And then we hear construction down in the valley. Uh, Or so we thought. Dad said, yeah, it's nothing. We'll just keep going. Uh, We were so close. Even I threw out my sense of self Protection. Um, and we kept climbing and then we came to a sort of fork in the path and I was in front, I was leading so I was like, let me just check out this way and then as I went to go check out the fork in the path it was almost like a scene from a film a single raindrop fell from the sky and hit my forehead and then I spun to dad with a horrified look on my face and then as soon as I made eye contact with him, the sky opened up and it was just torrential rainfall. And we were sprinting down the mountain, sliding down the rock, 
thunder, oh, Jesus. thunder and lightning, like closer than ever. It was ridiculous. And we were terrified. But I think just the sheer force of the storm uh, paired with the majesty of Katahdin, it was just, you couldn't, you couldn't script it. It was just too perfect. Just the mix of adrenaline and fear. It was, it was amazing. <laughs> it, it cemented that image in your, in your head. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, there had been difficult parts on the trail, mountains I didn't want to finish climbing, but it just, it was nothing compared to the force of Katahdin. It was a poetic ending too. We had 133 days in our through hike and a hundred of them were severe weather. Yeah, you did get very wet. It was a ridiculous, and we had friends and Totem who was behind us who, who ended up only doing about half of the trail. He would be hiking and we would message each other when we were in town and he'd say to his, he had, so he would say, he would talk to his trail family and say, oh yeah, they messaged me again. They have rain again. And he, he, his through hike was the most magical spring, sunny day. Sticking to us, it was, everyone else was fine. It was like a Charlie Brown cartoon where the cloud was just <laughs> over us the entire time. And so right. have, have that be our last our last hurrah with this horrendous storm that's blowing us off of Katahdin. It was a, uh, it was a real appropriate way to finish it. I think. Right. Cause I don't think you guys got a picture with the sign, right? Because the weather was so foul. And- yeah. Not, yeah. We never, we, we didn't even get, we didn't get to the sign that day. So it was, it yeah. was we were just, and we went down to tree line and we, cause a ranger had gone up before us. And we were talking with her and saying, oh, how many, we were joking, say, how, how many times do you go up and down Katahdin a day? And she's like, no, just once a day, and I spend my time up there and then come down. And so we knew she was ahead of us. So when we got, when we finally got down to Treeline, we were kind of huddled, waiting to see if the storm would pass or see if, see if it would be, you know, you could attempt it. And people were just flooding down the trail, kind of off from who were ahead of us. And they just kept coming down. And finally, the ranger came down, and I guess she we weren't the first to ask the question. And I said, do you think – and she said, get off the mountain. <laughs> and so there wasn't even like an option that you could yeah. go up. And, and as the further we went down, you'd pass these kind of little camps of people waiting. And, and we were behind the ranger, and she said, you have to get off the mountain. And they said, no, we're going to wait. And she said, I can't physically force you off the mountain. But if you are going to try and go up, I have to teach you lightning safety. And so she was giving these mini clinics on lightning safety to these hikers that were insistent on going up into the storm to try and get their picture. Uh-huh. And so we were, we, after she said, get off the mountain, we were just, we were like, okay, this is, you know, we've gone as far as this through hike is going to take us. You know, we, we didn't, we could have stayed over the night and gone up the next day or, you know, we could have done any of those things to kind of grasp that that mo- that 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 way of you know finishing and snapping the picture. But mm-hmm. we looked at each other and said, you know, there's no more fitting way to end this through hike than to be caught in that storm on Mount Katahdin. 
So, you know, we'll, we'll go back one day and we'll hike it and we'll get the sign picture. But, you know, this through hike is over with that storm, with, with, with Katahdin and the weather saying no, because it, right. it, it had been that the whole way up the trail, so many hours just walking in lightning and thunder and sleet and rain and snow and, you know, branches falling on us and, you know, breaking my rib and him busting his ankles and, you know, bears nudging us in our tent. Like there was so many things that happened. Excuse me? Oh, yeah. Bears nudging you in your tent? Yeah, Walnut Mountain outside of uh, Hot Springs. We had a bear nudging our feet in our tent. Slept like a baby, though. Aiden slept like a baby through it. I had my hiking pole in one hand and bear mace in the other, wondering how I'm going to mace the bear and not mace us. And the whole time, <laughs> the whole time I'm nudging Aiden going, Aiden, wake up, there's a bear. Aiden, wake up, there's a bear. And about 10 times after attempting to wake him up and he's just sleeping through, I'm going, why am I going to wake him up? There's a bear. Like, I don't need him freaking out. And so right. finally, I'm just yelling, I'm just yelling, F off, F off, like, but not saying F. And mm -hmm. and the closest tent's about 20 yards away. And I hear the young lady say to her boyfriend, what is he yelling about? <laughs> and I'm just like, F off, F off. And then all of a sudden, luckily, a thunderstorm starts, like, and the most insane thunderstorm before Katahdin's thunderstorm. And the bear goes running off into the woods. So you know for sure it was a bear. You could hear it. And... Yeah, it made its, it made its snorting noise as it was doing its thing. And oh. the next morning we got up tracks. and we, we saw tracks in the, in the campsite around us. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, I got some nice pictures of the tracks. <laughs> but yeah, so, I mean, so, so of all the things that had happened, and, and before, it, before we had left, we had read that there was risk of a government shutdown and that mm -hmm. certain portions of the trail, I know like in 97, there was a government shutdown um, and there were some sections closed. And there was also talk that Baxter was going to limit the number of through hikers able to uh, ascend Katahdin. They were going to sign numbers in the first, I don't know how many they, they had a, a quota that year. It was the first year they were introducing a quota of through hikers that were allowed to summit Katahdin. And so before we even left London, I said to Aiden, you know, what happens if we hike? And when I told him this, he was upset and I was upset and we were a bit nervous about it. And I said, what happens if we hike the 2,179 miles to the edge of Baxter? And a ranger says, you can't come any further. Would that negate everything that happened before? And without, without even thinking about it, he said, of course not. And so that was, our, that was our philosophy going north. And so when it came to the point where you know, Mother Nature said, you, go, you don't go any further, mm -hmm. we, were, it, we, we looked at each other and said, that, this doesn't negate our through hike. Our through hike right. This is where our through hike ends. And then because and because I had broken my rib and most of Maine was miserable, <laughs> we went back the very next year and we rehiked the Bigelows. We went through Baxter, we did our Katahdin ascent, we went out Knife's Edge and we got our picture at the sign the very you know uh it was a year the year's anniversary. We at the same day, August thirteenth, we summited Katahdin in uh, twenty eighteen.
So you got the bow. Just it was a little delayed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We are now on to two hours, so uh, I <laughs> okay. doesn't feel like it. It always happens this way. Uh, um, but I, and I know it's getting late for you guys over in London as well. So I wanted to kind of throw it out there. Is there anything that you feel like we haven't talked about that we should or that should be said either about your experience out there or words of advice or whatever to other potential through hikers? Aiden's thinking. No, I don't. I know this won't sound like, you know, the most mature thing to say. Um, but it, it was a real issue that I found on the trail, especially at the campsites we stayed at up north. Uh, if there's one thing I'd like through hikers to take deadly seriously is uh, digging cat holes. Because mm. too many nights there have been instances of us setting up our tent only to find that not two yards away there's someone who's just decided to go right on top of the dirt. So that's that's just a real issue I found that I think is important to address. Well, in that theme, I'd say cat holes and bear bags, the, the number of people sleeping with their food, just be kind of being defiant. Oh, I sleep with it as my pillow. We're thinking they're joking and then and they're, they're going to go hang a bear bag or use a bear canister and, and they're literally using their bear, their food bag as a, a pillow and wondering why we have bears in camp. It's, um, mm-hmm. th- those, those types of the, the devil may care or the invulnerability or entitlement that a lot of, even I, I, it's not, I, I think a lot of young, younger through hikers get a bad rap because there's that same attitude in the older through hikers that I've met as well, but this kind of I'm I'm indestructible or, you know, the AT is a the AT is a highway and we there's no real wildlife here to worry about. Um I think one of the reasons people in, have negative experiences is because of that lack of respect for the leave no trace principles and lack of kind of trail etiquette for pe- other people on the on the trail. So I think I'd encourage people to understand that they're going into a wilderness and that if they're looking for a wilderness experience, it, it, it's up to them to create wilderness and to protect wilderness and to encourage others in a positive way to protect and en- encourage and create wilderness. So, I mean, that's, I think, an important thing that I think uh, a number of thru-hikers maybe don't spend a lot of time thinking about it, or if they do it, they they lose sight of it the the longer they're on the trail because the amount of plastic a, a through hiker creates or generates we have our own island mm-hmm. i think i think through hiker through hikers have their own island of plastics in some ocean somewhere because we just ha- we just have so much wa- waste that we carry along with us but i mean the for people who are looking to do a through hike or people who are dreaming about doing a through hike, they, we were in the White Mountains and we were at, um, what was it Lake of the Clouds? Lake of the Clouds. Lake of the Clouds, just at the base of Mount Washington. And there's five or six rooms of bunks that people can, you know, weekenders can pay a hundred bucks each to stay in the bunk and have a hot meal up there and look at the sunset. 
uh, off of, uh, is it Monroe or Weber, uh, Weber, Mount Weber. And so I was, I was there in the dark looking at the stars. Aiden had gone to bed and I was sitting between these two dads who had their families up in the bunks. And one dad says to the other dad, are you a through hiker? And he goes, ah, no, it's college kids and retirees. He's like, I have a job and I have a mortgage. I won't, I'll never be a through hiker unless, you know, one day I retire and I, I want to do it. And I'm sitting there as a dad, as, as old as they were, mm-hmm. secretly happy with myself that somehow the stars had aligned and, you know, serendipity had allowed Aiden and I to be on this adventure. And I, I felt compelled to say something to these guys like, you can work it out. You can do it. You can be a through hiker. And I didn't, I kept it to myself, but maybe this is the venue to say, if you want to do it, there's a, there's a way to do it. There's a way to be a through hiker and that you don't have to put it off. There, there are things that you can maneuver, whatever job you think you're in that you can't get out of the number of through hikers I met who were on sabbatical because they took yeah. a year off. You know, there's there's a million excuses not to do a through hike. And there's just one great excuse to do a through hike because you can and it's there. So I would mm-hmm. encourage I would encourage anyone who wants to be a through hiker just to do it. But in in that respect, through hiking is a miserable miserable experience. <laughs> and well, you were wet for 100 days. Oh my so. god. And and what I I would encourage people to be section hikers because every section hiker we met was so happy, they smelled great, they were hiking the same trail. <laughs> it was I was very jealous of section hikers, and when I was a section hiker, I was so he- jealous of through hikers. But now being a through hiker, I I think I'm a section hiker at heart. Okay. And then you'll go back and you'll do your section hikes and decide that you want to do the whole trail again. Oh, I'm I'm doing this the trail um in what 2027. 20, okay. 2027, the AT the second AT hike. Perfect. Aiden's doing it sooner it seems. 2021. 2020. When he's seven, eight, 17. How old will you be at that point? Uh, 17. Eight, 17 18. turning 18. Okay. He's got some friends who had to abandon a, a flip flop who want to, um, who were who were who were also fourteen doing it with their mom, and they had to leave the trail, and so they've resolved that they're going to do it when they graduate high school, and they've invited Aiden along. Nice. Okay. And and when is uh, Helen's through hike? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what. It- it will probably have to be, I, I told Scott it would have to be um, probably in the next five to seven years. Because um, the problem is getting enough time off to, to do the through hike. I think I would do it now if, if I were able to take the time. Um, I've just never been able to, you know, take a, a large enough chunk off. You know, and I, I like being command central and I like being able to provide for the family and, and allow, 
you know, Scott to be able to go out and have these wonderful adventures with our kids and, and I join them for as much as I can. But the practical reality is, you know, if there's another way for us to earn money, <laughs> then then I think that'd be good for me to take the time and I do it earlier. But until that time, I think just have to wait for the right opportunity with, with you know, my career. Be open to opportunity. That's right. Where can people find you if they are interested in asking you guys additional questions or following the continuing adventures? We have a Instagram feed called the Cadiwampo Compass. And please spell it. <laughs> it's T H E underscore C O D D I W O M P L E underscore compass C O M P A S S. And that's our Instagram Perfect. handle. And from there, you can get our, uh, there's a link to our YouTube channel where we wax intellectual about gear and trail opinions and things like that. And uh, I also do, I'm a featured writer on the trek.co.co. Okay, perfect. And and are you under your name or are you under? Under my, under my name, yeah, Scott Durkin. Okay, perfect. But there's some articles about... Um, hiking with children and things there. So if people are interested in hiking with their teens or their kids or wanting to do through hikes with their kids, then there's some interesting things about the psychological impact of kids or how to, how to make carrots for kids to walk long distances and things like that. Oh, perfect. <laughs> or, and, and I'm sure that you could also probably apply that to how to make carrots for adults to walk long distances. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It works both sides. Aiden, uh, Aiden saved my life three times, twice about hypothermia and once about walking off a, walking off the side of a cliff. So if Aiden wasn't with me, I probably wouldn't be home right now. So was, yeah. uh, he was as, as vital to the success of the hike, if not the most vital component to the success of the hike than, than doing it by myself. So now that you said, I don't think I'm ever going to let you solo hike. <laughs> <laughs> I know. The truth comes out. The truth comes out. Oh, my God. And that sounds like a, a great evening conversation to be had. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you, all of you, so much for for reaching out and, and for coming on. This has been amazing. Well, thank it's you. It's been a pleasure. Really thank good you so talking much. notes, photos, and links for Scott, Aiden, and Helen's gear can be found on our website at hiking-through.com. Special thanks to Scott, Aiden, and Helen for sharing their stories from the trail, and Maya Wynn for the use of the song Try Again. If you have through hiking adventures to share, we'd love to hear them. Please email me at hikingthroughpodcast at gmail.com, or you can also DM me on Instagram at Hiking Through Podcast. We would also love it if you would find us on your favorite podcast provider and leave a review. I'll see you on the trail. Bye.